The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Talk about tonight is a topic is a um, a topic I was thinking of just introducing tonight and then carrying on, um, carrying forward over the next weeks while I'm here. And this is the topic of. Um, it's a, it's a list. It's one of the famous Buddhist lists. You know, many of you are familiar with the fact that the Buddha loved lists. This actually isn't one of the Buddha's lists. I don't think this one's actually in the in the words of the Buddhas, but it, but it's in the commentaries, and it's a beautiful list. It's a list of beautiful qualities of mind that are both um, uh, opened to. <laughs> naturally revealed as we engage with the practice and we also can encourage our hearts in the direction of actively cultivating these qualities so these are the the name of the list in pali is the paramis and the translation of this it's a funny it's a funny it's a funny word it's a funny name for a list it's called the perfections and the reason it's apparently called the perfections, is it's said that these are the qualities that the Buddha spent lifetimes perfecting before he finally woke up, before he finally uh, woke up and articulated, understood the Dharma so that he could teach it. So, you know, sort of in a in a kind of a, we could say in a, in a mythological way, um, these, uh, there's, there's all these stories, kind of some of the mythological stories of the Buddha's former lives. They're all pointing to various of these qualities that he's said to have worked on in his former lives in order to open his heart, open his mind to... Uh, be able to come to the understanding about suffering, how suffering is created, how suffering can come to an end, how stress, how struggle, how our inner struggle, our mental struggle can come to an end. It is, uh, I just want to say this, It's uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with the teachings of the Buddha so much, when the Buddha the, talked about the end of suffering, the end of dukkha, it is not the end of unpleasant experience that he was talking about, but rather the end, the end of um, our mind struggling with experience. And so the definition and effect of the freedom that the Buddha offered is no more mental pain or grief, ease of mind, peace of mind. And that too doesn't mean non-action. And yet the action would come from a heart that's connected rather than a heart that's resistant. And so these qualities, these perfections, um, I'll name them for you now. Generosity, virtue, renunciation. Some of these may not seem like things we want yet, but well, hopefully explore that. Um, wisdom, energy, patience, 
truthfulness, loving kindness. Oh, I missed one. Oh, resolve. The one I talked about earlier, resolve and equanimity. These are qualities of the heart that is not fighting the world. We could say, in effect, that as we stop resisting, as we stop struggling with, if, if we can come to that place of non-reactivity, of no mental pain or grief, that these would be the qualities that would be present. And kind of like the, the natural qualities of mind and heart that would be present in someone who didn't resist the world, who didn't resist what was going on. So these are what we could call qualities of the open heart, these qualities. So they are, they describe effectively, you know, they can be considered as descriptive of someone who has gotten to that place of no more mental pain and grief, you know, non-reactivity. And yet it also is, it is also, we could say, it's also um, prescribes, or is, so it's descriptive as well as prescriptive. It prescribes things that we should also cultivate. That it's useful to cultivate the qualities of generosity, of virtue, of renunciation, of wisdom, of energy, etc. It's useful to cultivate these qualities actively. And so I'd like to um, describe them a little bit. I'll also like to say that these are qualities in, in Asia. The, um, these are understood to be the qualities that are most relevant to practice in daily life. That these qualities that when people come to the monastery and talk to the meditation teacher when they're not actively meditating, often the meditation teacher will ask about how are your paramis? What are you cultivating there? So these are, these are qualities about engagement, often engagement with the world. So I'd like to just describe them each briefly and then say a little bit about how they are cultivated in general. And then over the coming weeks, I'd like to look at each one or two a week and just explore each of them in a, in a little more depth. So the first is, um, is generosity, the quality of the heart that is um, wishing to give. There are two qualities, two related qualities. Actually, there's the quality of gi- the, the quality of the action of giving, which is dana, and the quality of generosity, which is the inner quality, the quality of the heart that wishes to give. And the uh, action of generosity is one of the key ways that we cultivate that inner quality. So the quality of generosity is one of connection. It creates a, a link in our community, in our communities, to 
have a generous heart, to have a sense of sharing. And this is not, this is not, I mean, I think the, the sharing in material terms is the smallest of these in a way. The, the sharing of ourselves, the sharing of our hearts, the sharing of our time, the sharing of our caring is an act of generosity. And so giving time and attention is one of the greatest gifts that we can give to people. And so we can practice this, you know, even if we're not feeling particularly generous. I mean, one of the key ways I think that at least these first few um, qualities that we can cultivate these, although, no, I think we can cultivate many of them in this way, is to engage in an activity that um, is outwardly reflective of the quality. So in the case of generosity, engaging in giving. We may not feel generous when we're giving. In fact, there may be a sense of, ooh, I don't know about this. You know? <laughs> um, and, and yet what we could do is to explore the practice of giving while um, knowing in our hearts. It's not about repressing the feeling of, ooh, I'm not sure I want to give this or, hmm... I don't feel very generous here. It's it's not that we wait until we're feeling generous to give, but rather give with the intention of seeing, might this stretch the heart a little bit? Not all the time, of course, but, you know, if somebody asks you for a favor or something, you might think, oh, well, gee, I don't really have time or something. But, okay, well, maybe this could be one of my parami practices. Maybe I could explore how, to, how this might cultivate the inner quality by engaging in the outer action. And if that's the way you go about it, if that's the way you go about an action with the intention to cultivate the inner quality, so acting out of the intention to cultivate the quality of generosity, even if it's not felt, that action I've seen it happen over and over again. The action starts to have a rebound on our hearts. At one point, I decided I would um, uh, follow through on any um, act of inspiration to give something to somebody that that arose in my mind. And... um, it wasn't, you know, it was kind of, first of all, it was kind of humbling to see just how infrequently that happened. But I did follow through, and one of the things I saw is that, it's, you know, when it happened, my mind would give all kinds of excuses for why I shouldn't do it. Oh, I don't have the time, or, oh, I can't afford it, or, oh, they probably wouldn't like that anyway. But I decided instead to just, no, I'm going to take this action. I'm going to try this and see what happens. And, you know, it, it does have a rebound effect. So when I, you know, this one time I remember, I saw something in, in, a, in a museum store that felt like, oh, that daughter of that, my friend, she would really like this. And then immediately it's like, oh, I don't know that she'd like it. I have no idea if she'd like it, blah, blah, blah. It's so like, oh, and it's pretty expensive too, blah, 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 blah. It's like, nope, right, I've got this commitment. With the intention of cultivating generosity, I'm going to buy it. And when I just, I just did it, there was kind of this delight in my heart. It's like, oh, I'm going to give this. I'm going to give this to her. So that's the feeling. That's the inner feeling, that delight. 
So, generosity. The next is virtue. This is the um, exploration or um, a cultivation of... Um, Skillful, ethical conduct, essentially. Connection with others. Again, this is really about connection with our community. Creating an environment that feels safe. A a community of safety. This is a... um, You know, ethics in, in Buddhism isn't so much... It's not so much about right and wrong. It's more about what creates connection, what creates harmony what creates the conditions for letting go of struggle. And the Buddha primarily said there's five things that are really helpful. And these will sound familiar for those of you who haven't, you know, some of you um, haven't uh, been familiar with the Buddhist um, ethics. They'll seem kind of familiar to refrain from killing, to refrain from taking what's not given, to refrain from sexual misconduct, to refrain from false speech, and to refrain from intoxicants. But again, this is an, an outer expression, an outer action, that when we, uh, even if we, we may not want to always engage, although, you know, in many of these cases, um, uh, you know, like, Refraining from, you know, in, in, the, in the grossest level, refraining from killing, refraining from killing our fellow human beings. You know, that's, that one is not perhaps so hard for us to, uh, to do in the conditions that we're in here. And yet, you know, if we even think about it, you know, the conditions in the world are so difficult in so many places. And if everyone in the planet were to agree to this one action, you know, what kind of a different world it would be? So don't underestimate the power of acknowledging, holding, you know, you know holding to these precepts and, you know, it, it can kind of uplift the heart to recognize the way that I'm engaging is in, non, in, in non-harming. I'm, I'm, I'm walking through the world in a way that is offering a gift of fearlessness. It's said This is actually one of the, the strongest gifts we can give our fellow human beings, a gift of fearlessness, that they do not need to fear, be afraid in our presence. And in, in a way, this is said to perfect. This is another way they're called perfections. Each one, in a way, perfects the previous one. That the cultivation of the strength of virtue perfects the cultivation of the previous one of generosity because it creates this container of the, the generosity of the gift of fearlessness for our fellow human beings, our fellow beings. The third is renunciation. This one, you know, renunciation has a bad rap, I think, in terms of the the word in our culture. It's often understood or thought about as being, um, uh, you know, giving up something you like, something like that. But 
here, renunciation is actually asking us to forgo a lesser happiness in order to move towards a greater happiness. To forgo a lesser happiness of getting what I want, getting rid of what I don't want, in order to cultivate more of a non-reactive mind. And so this, the renunciation here is, is a greater level of renunciation in effect than the renouncing that's done in the um, holding to the paramis in the precept or the, the, the uh, perfection of virtue. Because what we're, we're cultivating in renunciation is letting go of those inclinations of mind that have us wanting to hold on to pleasant things and get rid of unpleasant things. So virtue is perfected through this renunciation. One, um, one teacher really was very clear and very poignant about this. Mark Coleman at one point said, you know, in our usual way of engaging in the world, the way when we're, you know, like holding on to things that we like and, you know, trying to, you know, basically living in the world through this reactive mind, you know, frustrated with this and that and angry with these things and wanting these things and not wanting people to have those things. And, you know, so the kind of normal way that we tend to live in the world, he said, what we're doing is renouncing freedom. And so we are renouncing with our actions. Whatever we choose to do, what do we choose? What, what do we choose to cultivate here? Do we choose to renounce freedom? Or do we choose to renounce greed and aversion? And this is actually a pretty big topic, so I'll probably spend a a, a, a day on that one. Then wisdom. Wisdom is, you know, kind of an interesting word. You know, when I first started um, hearing this word, I think it probably took me a good 10 years before I really began to understand what on earth wisdom meant. I had this really big idea of what wisdom meant. It's kind of like some big, you know huge like understanding of the way everything works or I don't know something like that wisdom in this practice is really quite humble it is the wisdom that understands what is it that leads us towards struggle and what is it that leads us away from struggle so in a very simple way to articulate this Wisdom is the wisdom that understands what is it that helps us to let go of greed, of aversion, and delusion. Wisdom is what helps us to understand how to cultivate these wholesome qualities. And so wisdom is about understanding what's skillful and what's not so skillful in terms of what we could call true happiness this uh, greater kind of happiness, the happiness of peace, the happiness of ease, rather than the happiness of getting what I want, getting rid of what I don't want. 
the next I won't spend much time on here because it's, it's hard to describe without a little bit more elaboration but it is the quality of energy and this in short, in brief it is energy directed towards the practice energy directed towards basically cultivating these wholesome qualities and other wholesome qualities in particular mindfulness <laughs> concentration <laughs> uh, confidence um, there's a, a set of uh, qualities um, um, that kind of create the meditative mind. Those are the five faculties, and those are confidence, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. So some overlap here, but uh, mindfulness and concentration in particular are, are wholesome qualities that really support us in this direction. And so energy would be energy applied to mindfulness, as well as energy applied to cultivating generosity, energy applied to cultivating virtue and wisdom. The next is patience. This one, another, they're all big topics. <laughs> patience is, uh, in Burma, patience has a very high regard the, there's a saying in Burma that says patience is the road to freedom that patience is essentially the quality that we really need to stay on the path talking about the, the question that was a- asked earlier the, the question of establishing the practice and you know the patience to weather the ups and downs it's a really potent force in our minds this patience to, yes, it's going to take work, steady work. There's a, there's a, um, a beautiful analogy offered by Tanisaro Bhikkhu that uh, illustrates this, this quality of patience in the way that I think is um, it's helpful. Because patience, when we use the word patience, often we think of, oh, settling back, you know. Okay, I'll be patient, you know. It's that kind of thing, you know. It's not, it's not this, you know. It's not kind of an engaged kind of thing. Patience, the word in English patience tends to mean, seem to have a sense of non-action. But patience in this practice is very active. Tanisaro Bhikkhu talks about the patience of a farmer. He, actually, he says his teacher talked about this. And that in particular in Thailand where his teacher lived... Um, the farmer needs to be patient because crops don't grow overnight. You know, it's like you have to, you have to know what action needs to be taken and, and know what needs to be done what, as it needs to be done. And so you need to plant the grains in the field at the particular time, at the time that it needs to be done. You can't just like delay at that point. You need to take the action to do it. And then, you know, you, you create, you cultivate the conditions for the crops to grow. Weeding things, giving it soil, making sure it's got, it's got the moisture, it's got the fertilizer. You have to take that action. Then, then you have to, when, then the patience here is about being patient for the 
uh, the results. Because you can't make the results happen when you want them to happen. And yet, if you don't take the actions to cultivate the result, the result will never come. And so you have to take the action to plant the seeds, to care for the crop, to harvest the crop, to dry the crop, to put the crop away quickly so that the the creatures don't get to it. You have to do all of that to get the result. And yet you can't create the result. You create the conditions that allows the results to unfold. And that's very much the way the practice works. And the patience that's needed is the patience to keep this persistent, gentle effort knowing what needs to be done as it's done, the patient cultivation of these wholesome qualities, the cultivation of all of these paramis and of mindfulness and concentration, the patient cultivation of those. And yet we don't know when the mind will come to understanding. We don't know when the mind will release when the mind will let go of holding on and wanting things to be a certain way. We don't know. And yet, we have to keep the action going. So this is a, not a patience of non-action, but a patience of action. A patience of, it's a patience around the results. The next one is truthfulness. And to me, this, this indicates a truthfulness beyond speech because the second parami talked about cultivating wise speech, cultivating the speech that is not false. And so to me, this goes beyond that. And this, this to me talks about the truth of really what is here right now. You know, this is, there's so many ways that the mind confuses us, deludes us. You know, we, um, I can't think of a clear, a clear example in the moment, but, um, but just here's one, here's, here's a possibility. You know, when you see somebody when you meet somebody, often, and I think we have a sense of this, often when we meet somebody, we, we have a sense that we are not just meeting that person as they are here and now, but that we are meeting them through our ideas about them. We are overlaying our opinions, our views, our senses of what they've done in the past, of what we think they're going to do in the future. We're also potentially overlaying um, kind of archetypes on them. You know, it's like the father archetype or the mother archetype if they're, you know, of a particular gender. Or, or maybe they've got a particular um, quirk of... Um, action that reminds you of somebody and that brings in that filter or that, that kind of ideas in the mind of, oh, this person, if they do that, then they may be like that. And so we're not really seeing truthfully. This is a big area of our practice to start to become truthful about what we are adding as ideas 
to experience. So to be truthful about what's actually happening. That's one way to look at it. I think there's kind of multiple doorways to look at that, that one. Determination is this quality of resolve that I talked about earlier, this quality of, you know, it's not just a one-time deal, you know? It's not just like I'm going to pay attention to the breath really hard right now and that's going to do it. It's over and over again. I'm going to just keep going. I'm going to keep going. We just dedicate ourselves to this. To me, this one really ties into patience. Patience and resolve are really the place where the practice kind of bears fruit. Then there's loving kindness, the um, quality of the open heart that's not resistant, it's not contracted, connected. It's kind of a connected quality of heart. That open heart has a feeling, a flavor of kindness in respect to our fellow human beings. It has a flavor of kindness in respect to our own experience, a sense of even kind of love in respect to our own experience. That as we cultivate this mindfulness, it begins to feel like a loving awareness. And so this quality of love begins to flower. And then the last of equanimity is the kind of the the balance of mind, the non-reactivity. It's the closest mind state to that peace that the Buddha was talking about. This mind that is able to just kind of stand in the middle of things and not be kind of blown around. It's able to have the kind of rootedness, to not be buffeted around by all kinds of conditions in the world. So I'm just going to say a couple of words about the cultivation of the, these qualities. There's just basically three, three basic things. One is that we can cultivate these qualities by recognizing what gets in their way. So if you're cultivating, interested in exploring patience, you could start by recognizing, where am I impatient for any one of these, this is one of the ways that we cultivate it. Not by trying to make ourselves feel a certain way, but by fully by being truthful, right? This is truthfulness right there. Yep, I feel impatient. Okay, that's what's happening. So to explore that, that's one way that the quality grows. A second way is by recognizing the quality when it does arise, kind of Highlighting it for ourselves. Oh, oh, this is resolve. This is patience. This is what patience feels like. This is what meta, this is what kindness feels like. Really opening our hearts and acknowledging that. And then there are active practices that I think we can cultivate with each of these qualities, ways to engage, to actively grow each of these qualities. And that's, I'll cover, I think I'll talk about that more as I talk about each one. So, that's all the time we have. 
Thank you for your attention.